Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hi everyone, this is Bill Peacock and welcome to episode 62 of the Liberty Cafe. It's a blessing to be with you and have you here listening to us today and taking part in what we're doing to really deal with oppression. We often talk about how oppression is on the menu here at the Liberty Cafe. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to expose oppression because it's everywhere around us, but most people just act like it's normal day-to-day business, but it's not. So we, we like to talk about that on here. And that's right in line with what the folks over at Texas Scorecard do. Texas Scorecard is a sponsor of the Liberty Cafe, and we're glad to be a part of their network. So run on over, if you would, to texasscorecard.com and find out what you can do to, to engage and, and take part and in, increase your part in the battle for liberty here in Texas. All right, today is we're, we're going to talk about evil. I mean, we often talk about evil on the Liberty Cafe. Maybe we don't give it that name always, but, but, but today I think it's, it's fair uh, because we're going to talk about abortion. And if you haven't noticed, abortion is in the news today, right? There's a, a, a big fight going over that. Of course, there has been a big fight going on against abortion for uh, about abortion for a long time, but largely because of three appointees by President Trump to the Supreme Court during his term, that abortion debate has come front and center and now actually looks like there might be some possibility of doing something about it at the federal level or actually at the level of just ending abortion, at least on a state-by-state basis, which has not been the case for a long time. We've just been able to pass an abortion restriction here, an abortion restriction there, and see if that passes muster with the Supreme Court. Well, now, based on what a lot of people are saying, it looks like there may be a chance for significant restrictions on abortion and even possibly outright stopping it entirely, at least in the states that want to do that. And, and that would be a great blessing for, of course, millions of babies that would be born that otherwise would be killed. I, I can't remember, the, but we are in the millions and millions of babies that have died since Roe v. Wade in Texas. Uh, I did a, an article one time a couple of years ago where I think it showed the United States is only behind Russia, China, and Vietnam in the number of abortions that take place on an, on an average year. So basically, where communists have ruled and tried to kill off all religion are the top three places where abortions take place. And then there's the United States. That doesn't speak too well for our country. And, and so, in fact, not only would ending abortion be great for children who would grow up and prosper as as human beings, but it would also be great for our culture because we're we are being engulfed in the wrath of God as we kill so many of our children. So that's what we're going to talk about today, um, and we're going to talk about it from a variety of different things. First, I just want to go back. Um, I'm a teacher. Uh, part of what I do is being a teacher anyway and, and talk a lot about constitutional things and government. And so I just want to take us a quick trip back 
into the um, the debate over states' rights because that is in constitutional powers for Congress and the courts and those kind of things because that's one of the big things that's going on here. So if you go back to the Constitution of the United States, it, it lays out a bunch of powers for Congress and for the federal, federal government generally, Congress, the executive, and the courts. And then we get to the Tenth Amendment, and the Tenth Amendment says, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Over time, that has gotten uh, changed somewhat, uh, not, not the words, the words are still there, but in practice, what, how that is dealt with has changed greatly. Uh, part of that is, has been the problem with this thing called enumerated powers versus um, implied powers, and we're going to talk about that on episode 63, so I hope you can come back and join us for that. But it's also got changed through the 14th Amendment. So if you recall, all the, um, all the amendments, the, the first 10 amendments in the Bill of Rights, basically said that Congress can't do this and Congress can't do that as far as getting in the way of our rights. It didn't say anything about the states. The states were able to do whatever they wanted to do, and it was up to the people of the state to stop that from happening through who they elected to their state offices. Uh, so, for instance, uh, freedom of speech, private property rights, those were limits on what Congress could do, not what the states could do. But then you had the 14th Amendment that came in, and basically it allowed it, – it said that the states can't do anything to take away the rights that are given to the people in the first 10 amendments and the rest of the Constitution. So all of a sudden that gave an enforcement authority to the, to the Supreme Court basically and to Congress to some extent over the states. And so that really shifted what we call federalism today and created a much stronger central government. But the 14th Amendment came in, and basically what it said there was, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Right. So that sounds like a good thing, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it has been used to, to bad ends by a lot of different people. So, so why does that come up now with the issue debate over abortion? Well, for one thing, right before Roe v. Wade in 1972, basically what you had was Abortion was legal in some states, and it was illegal in other states. As a matter of fact, in most states it was illegal, but in some states it was it was a legal thing to do. But it was up to the states because there was nothing in the Constitution that had a right to abortion or anything else. And so, but what we saw happen in Roe v. Wade was that the Supreme Court decided that all of a sudden. Abortion was a right that was found somewhere in the Constitution, and therefore the states under the 14th Amendment couldn't hinder that right on behalf of people. And so it took the, bat the battle away from the states and put it in the, the courts, which, as we know, isn't been much of a battle because you got nine people sitting in robes, and you know if you don't get five of them on your side, then you're out of luck. And there haven't been five people on our side in the Supreme Court 
yet at least. Uh, we'll, we'll see in the coming months if that's the case. And so we, we had an uh, interesting debate in the, in the Supreme Court on this about two weeks ago, I think it was now, where um, the, the justices asked some really penetrating questions, I thought, of uh, the people who were arguing for abortion rights to remain under the Supreme Court jurisprudence rather than returning it to the states. This is all around. You know, there's two big cases going on right now. One is the Texas heartbeat bill that outlaws abortion after six weeks but has this funky enforcement mechanism. It's not the state that enforces it. It's private lawsuits. So that's one thing. In the, in the tape you're getting ready to hear, the, the audio you're getting ready to hear, it's coming from the arguments in the Mississippi abortion law case where Mississippi has banned abortion after 15 weeks. And so let's just listen in on this uh, audio right here from – it's Justice Thomas asking a question to a lady, Miss Reichelman, who is arguing on behalf of the plaintiffs, which I think are the women's whole health. Isn't that a strange name? A, a, a group of healthcare providers called Women's Whole Health. Sounds like a really good thing. But what they really are focused on is killing babies. Uh, it just it baffles the mind what people are willing to do in the name of denying God as God, as the creator of all things. But we're so fallen in our sinfulness, unless by the grace of God we are regenerated by Jesus Christ, that's what happens to us. And so we become baby killers, among other things. And so... Anyway, so let's listen to this question and answer from uh, Justice Thomas and Ms. Reichelman, and then we'll get back to uh, discussing it. Justice Thomas, anything further? <clears throat> back to my original question. Um, if I, were, I know your interest here is in abortion. I understand that. But if I were to ask you, what constitutional right protects the right to abortion? Um, is it privacy? Is it autonomy? What would it be? It's liberty, Your Honor. It's the uh, textual protection in the 14th Amendment that a state can't deprive a person of liberty without due process of law. And the court has interpreted liberty to include the right to make family decisions and the right to physical autonomy, including the right to end a previability pregnancy. So it's all of the above. Well, the court, that's how the court has interpreted the Liberty Clause for over 100 years in cases going back to Meyer, Griswold, Carey, Loving, Lawrence. All right. I always love listening to Justice Thomas. He's got this kind of deep, gravelly voice. I, I can't really uh, you know, do, do it here. I'll try, but I just can't do it. But he's got a great voice and very uh, gravitas. And so he asked a question, and he, he wanted to know, okay, so where is the right to abortion in the Constitution? Because, as we all know, abortion isn't mentioned anywhere there. So it, it's pretty interesting, her response. Uh, her response was the 14th Amendment, and it's in the phrase that I read to you just a little while ago, liberty, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property. And so she says that the right to abortion can be found in that 
right to liberty in the 14th Amendment. And you know, she goes round and round, and, and Thomas kind of pins her down a little bit, but, but she says where that is. It's interesting, though, because that wasn't the finding in Roe. Right. Roe talked about penumbras and all these kinds of things, but it, it didn't talk, point to the 14th Amendment. It wasn't until the, the Casey case came along later that they pointed to, um, pointed to the 14th Amendment because everybody knew that, that Roe v. Wade was so poorly decided, e- even the liberals couldn't use it as real precedents to stand up to and point back to. And so they had to come up with something else when this Casey law that they came up with. And so that's where everybody points back to now. Roe v. Wade isn't really law anymore. It's really Casey. They didn't officially overturn it because that wouldn't have looked good, but because but it's so badly decided they just sort of ignored it. And that's what the the, the council's fighting for abortion um, did did in this argument too. They, they point back to Casey. They don't really point back to Roe because Roe is just so ridiculously decided. So anyway, the, the council said liberty is where the right to abortion stands. Well, you know, one person who might make an argument with that is the baby in the womb, right? I mean, where's that baby's liberty? And on the other hand, of course, there's a mother's liberty. And the, but the mother's liberty extends to taking care of herself and her rights and her body. But that baby in her womb is not part of her body. That's a separate body, a separate person from the very get-go. And so there's no liberty interest in the Constitution about abortion because there's the mother has no liberty interest in killing her baby. Right? Yet that's the argument they have to fight on, and that's the argument that it's going to be decided on really is you know, which one of these rights, the mother's rights to not have to bring a baby to term, that's basically the big argument. You can't, we can't force a mother to bring a baby to term versus the, the rights of the baby to live. Right? So it's like a woman goes out with a man, two of them get together, the woman gets pregnant because of these actions, usually, not always, but usually outside of marriage. So there's the first problem right there, right? And then she gets pregnant, and it's all of a sudden, now the, the government's forcing her to carry this baby to term? No, really, the, 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 government is in, the government's interest in this is preserving the lives of its citizens, which in this case is the baby that's getting ready to come out of the womb. So that's the real scope, but in this legalism thing that we have to fight through this day, this is the big fight between the, the 14th Amendment and the 10th Amendment, between the liberty of the baby and the liberty of the mother. And it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, so the New York Times is already parsing this, and all the liberals are doing that. And they're, they're basically looking at there's, – there's two scenarios that people are kind of debating what's going to be the case. Almost everybody seems to think that, that the Supreme Court is going to uphold the Mississippi law and bring the restrictions on abortion down from – so right now about viability is where states can start prohibiting abortion, and that's about 21 weeks or so. They – they're pretty sure they're going to bring it down to 15 weeks. That, that, from the arguments that everybody has, it looks like there's probably six votes to do that. The question is whether well, there's going to be enough votes in the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade 
and uh, Casey. That, that's the debate going on. So the New York Times talks about that if, if they just bring it down to 15 weeks, that, that will probably narrow abortions or limit abortions, only cut them by about 2% because they, they kind of do the math on this. Like right now, only about 4% of abortions anyway happen after 15 weeks. So the vast majority of them happen before 15 weeks. And, and nearly two-thirds of the abortions that happen after 15 weeks happen in states that President Biden won last year. So those states are not likely to uh, prohibit abortion even, you know, well, it, they're not likely to prohibit abortions, but they'll just keep happening there after 15 weeks. And only the states like Texas and Mississippi might go to 15 weeks and cut it off. So about only, only about 2 percent of abortions would be uh, stopped through this you know, that, that's their calculation. Now, the other possibility is this broad ruling that overturns Roe v. Wade and Casey. And, and that all hinges on, well, first of all, John Roberts, most of us know about him. He's, he's problematic. And um, he seemed to be interested in, in the 15-week standard, but not overturning Roe v. Wade. Who knows? But if he can get Kavanaugh or Amy Coney Barrett to go with him, then that would, you know, just two people would be enough to stop the overturning of Roe v. Wade. If that happens, basically what, what happens is that they would expect about 20 states or so that, that now account for one-third of abortions to, um, to ban abortion, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Oklahoma, you know, places like that. Uh, and so you, you could really do a serious um, reduction in abortions, you know, maybe as much as one-third. Now, some women would leave the state to go do this, this kind of thing. And then you also have a problem with um, what the FDA just did this week. I mean, it, it, again, this is a problem with evil. The FDA just this week, in response to all this, changed the Trump-era rules and now will allow women – in any state across the country to get the abortion pill delivered to them through the mail after a consultation with a doctor through telemedicine. So if Texas decides to outlaw abortion, if the Supreme Court allows that to happen, although wouldn't it be nice if, if our governor and legislature and attorney general and local sheriffs and, and county commissioners and mayors just said, to heck with what the Supreme Court says, we're going to get rid of abortion anyway. We don't care what they say. It's not in the Constitution. We have a sworn duty to uphold the Constitution and to protect our citizens. We're not going to let it happen in Texas. But that's another fight. Maybe if this all goes bad, we might still have that fight. But let's hope that doesn't happen, that we the Supreme Court does the right thing. But anyway, um, uh, so now people in Texas, women in Texas, could possibly have their abortions through this abortion pill. So we'll see how it all weighs out. I think I'll just, you know, I just want to close here talking a little bit about some of the problems in the evangelical church. I'm in the Presbyterian Church, the more conservative version of that, the Presbyterian Church of America. But, but even in that world, right, and in a lot of the Southern Baptists and other things, we're having a lot of problems with, with, with evangelicals not really standing up firmly on the right to abortion. A lot of it, I think, goes back to a hatred for President Trump and for, frankly, those who supported President Trump. 
I didn't vote for President Trump the first time around because I don't really believe that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. Then he got up there and did it, right? So I voted for him the second time, although a lot of his policies I don't really like. Big government guy, lots of spending, doesn't care so much about property rights, things like that. But nonetheless, he fought against the bad guy's force in a lot of ways, and I appreciated that. So I voted for him the second time around. But a lot of evangelicals just can't stand that. And, and there's, there's two that I ran across recently in this battle for abortion. Scott Sauls and then, and then David French has been unfortunately doing this for a long time. And basically, when it comes to abortion, they've been – well, here's what Scott Saul says, right? He says the core issue here is in the pro-life versus pro-choice debate is whose rights matter most. Is, is it the, right of the rights of the mother or the rights of the infant in her womb? I believe the answer is yes. Well, yeah, right. I mean the rights of the mother are important. But – in the moment that the mother's trying to kill her baby, the, the, the mother really doesn't have a lot of rights to stand on in that case. Now, what he's trying to get at is that, um, you know, basically conservatives aren't very compassionate towards the poor and the downtrodden and these, these poor pregnant mothers who are having all these problems. And, and we're not showing compassion to them. And, and so he, he and even says, you know, this is where the pro-life and pro versus pro-choice discussion breaks down. Neither side is known for respecting the dignity of every human in the equation. Furthermore, neither side is seen by the other as being truly and consistently pro-choice or pro-life. So he, he doesn't come right out and say it, but basically what Saul's is saying here is that conservatives, Republicans, aren't pro-life enough because they don't think that we ought to have big government programs that take care of the poor. Really, I mean, you know, again, he doesn't say that directly, but you just read between the lines. That's the only place you can go to address what he's doing. So uh, Republicans or conservatives who say we need to stop abortion, but we don't want big government welfare programs, they're only pro-life part of the time is what he's saying. And, and none of this just makes sense. And so he's willing to put big government out there and, and put it on basically evil support for big government on par with support for getting rid of abortion, right? And, and if you're not on both of those, then you're just not where you need to be. And I, I just think that is so sad to see People in the church, evangelical leaders in the church, Scott Sauls is a pastor in the PCA where, where I'm, I'm a member, and uh, it, this doesn't comport with the Bible or the, the ethics of the Bible or just the common sense of, about what life really stands for. You know, at the end of his article, he recommends another article from David French. And if you don't know, David French is also a member of the PCA. Uh, he, he goes to a church in Franklin, Tennessee, which is one reason I have a lot of problems with uh, the PCA right now. It, it's There are a lot of challenges there, but that's maybe a podcast for another time. So David French, in, in his uh, commentary on this issue lately, uh, talked about a um, – telling a story about this woman uh, named Maria and who, who gave up um, – um, gave up her baby, and it was heartbroken 
about the the years that she missed with her daughter, right? And, and you know, we all can understand that, right? It, it, it's, I mean, sometimes mothers have to give up their babies, and it, it's a problem. Um, but he says that is why, and I quote here, an ethical, responsible, and compassionate pro-life movement works mightily to make sure that parents can raise their children. And if it's impossible or imprudent for both parents to be involved, then it works hard to make sure that moms can raise their babies with safety and financial security. Moreover, the very idea that poverty in this nation of all places could be the factor that causes a mother to part with her child is and should be a clarion call for action, both private and public, designed to facilitate family formation. So here is Mr. French wanting big government to step in and basically facilitate family formation, right? Again, to spend a lot of money to get people out of poverty, to support mothers and those kind of things. But but doesn't that kind of sound like you know, a Hillary Clinton kind of thing to do, get big government involved in family formation, because we've kind of seen what big government getting involved in family formation lately looks like, right? We have two daddies and we have two mommies and and those kinds of things, right? So I think, again, French misses the point here along with Saul's. And and it's pretty interesting. uh, As we come to a close here, you know, actually – David French voted for Joe Biden this time around, and he justified his vote for Joe Biden by saying, look, it doesn't really matter who we vote for for president when it comes to abortion. It's been going down, and it's going down under Republicans and Democrats, and so it doesn't matter who we vote for. Well, Mr. French, that is that, – that idea on yours of yours is getting ready to come up to the test because if, if those three Trump appointees – uh, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett come out and vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, that's going to totally undermine what you said. And even if they don't quite get there yet, I don't think you're right in the first place. So wherever you come down on David French, Donald Trump, uh, abortion, evangelicals, those kind of things, I, I think what we need to be doing as Christians is doing a lot of prayer to our Lord and Savior in heaven and asking him to stop this national, really tragedy, uh, abomination that we've been doing in our country now for the last 50 years, which is killing millions of our children. All right, well, thank you very much. That was episode 63 of the Liberty Cafe, and thanks once again to our sponsors, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate this show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.